Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection. Starting right now. Boston Blake has worn many hats. He's been an actor and involved in theater. He's been a personal masseuse, an amateur therapist, and though he shudders a bit at the word, a life coach. But through all of that, he's been led by a love of personal development as well as mythology. Now, the fascination with mythology began as a young boy, and has carried through to his adult life, and has defined a lot of the way he sees the world. And he'd be the first to tell you that these ancient, dusty stories may have something to tell us about how to live in the here and now. And if this sort of thing is your jam, you should really check out Boston's podcast entitled Mythic with Boston Blake. We'll put links to that in the show notes. This was a great conversation, and I think you'll be glad you listened Without further ado, let's get into it. Thank you, Boston Blake. Thank you so much for being on the Brody Safa podcast. Welcome to the show. And Thanks. we're so excited to have you. It's an honor and a pleasure. I am so stoked for this invitation. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. I invited you on. I know you have a podcast. You just started off. I was just listening to your your first episode. Is that right? Did you just release your first episode? I just released my first episode. Uh-huh. It's called Mythic Perspective. It kind of got out into the wild faster than I had wanted. So I don't feel like it's quite ready for prime time. But once it was out there, I'm like, all right, let's ride this wave. So, yeah, that sounds very familiar. That sounds yeah. very, very familiar. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're we're good coaches for patience or uh, mm-hmm. or, or not getting there for you ready. You, you kind of I think you have to fake it till you make it kind of thing, you know. You you put it out Maybe. there and, and think, yeah, oh, we'll fix it in post, you know. Or, or put, vibes for it. put the bad ones out while no one's listening. Um, exactly. <laughs> I will go in and add outros and all of that when the time comes right now. Just get just it's like somebody turned up the treadmill while I was, you know, walking on it. And all of a sudden I'm running going, oh, no, 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 no. Just don't fall. Just don't fall. Yeah. yeah. And then the damn thing starts going uphill and you're like, what? Why? Why? So. Boston, what? Uh, th- this is a funny story. So, sh- so I met Boston in the podcast workshop, uh, Seth Godin's podcast workshop, and I, for the longest time, was sure I was sure that Boston was a nickname. I thought his name is Boston Blake, and I thought that he was Blake from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd known him a good month or more before I finally figured out. No, that's actually his first name, well, and he does not live in Boston. Mystic. 
(laughs) (laughs) So Boston, you grew up in Oklahoma, is that right? That's right. I grew up in Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, a very small town halfway between Oklahoma City and the Texas border. Exit 72 off the I-35 if you want to know. Good to know. Good to know. I actually delivered some uh, bingo paper to uh, around that town. That totally tracks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That could have been 30 years ago or last week. Um, yeah, the both probably. <laughs> so, uh, did you did you, uh, did you grow up and hit the road, or did you stick around Oklahoma for a while? How, how did you? I know you now live in San Francisco. How'd you end up on the left coast? So, I lived in Oklahoma until I was fourteen years old ish, and my parents got divorced, and then I moved to San Antonio with my mom, and I went to high school there, and mm-hmm. that's where I discovered theater, which would become this informing factor in the rest of my life. Excellent. Uh, and then I went off to New York for a year. I, I did one year at NYU, um, but I simply could not afford to stay. I also had a pretty tricky experience in New York. It was not the right city for me. Yeah. And then if, uh, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And if you can't make it there, that's probably fine. i really lean into that second part of it yeah Yeah. it really didn't say anything (laughs) it incongruent it was just incongruent um you know but but then i moved to i moved to los angeles for a while and that was also that was great while it was great but i had already seen san francisco when i went to Mm. la san francisco was a completely different experience i i came here for the first time in 1996 and i got off the plane and it was i was like oh this is what home feels like it was a completely new experience and against all odds and statistics, I had a place to live by the end of the day. And wow. my, um, I, I studied at the American Conserv- Conservatory Theater for that summer. Huh. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I really tried to make it work for me. And it would have if I had not already seen San Francisco. Yeah. And this place is for me. I've tried leaving twice and it won't let me go. It is absolutely home. Perfect. Wow. What was it? What, that's such a powerful feeling. What was it about the city you think that just grabbed you right from the start? I honestly don't know. The skyline mm-hmm. was beautiful, but that wasn't it. It mm-hmm. was it was cloudy and chilly, so it wasn't the weather. We had cloudy and chilly back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the airport, who can say? Like I don't even yeah. know. But everybody I met was amazing. Every mm. person I met, and this was back when we met people. So it was, you know, Weird. tell us about this time, this time, <laughs> this, this before time, before the pandemic, before the, before the iPhone, uh-huh. you go in and sit down at a coffee shop when everybody was reading the fourth Harry Potter book. And, and, and you then, would speak to people with your mouth parts. Speak to people with your mouth parts and then you listen, listen with the ear parts and you talk about this big paper thing of words Whoa. that we were all into. And you could see there was not the assumption, oh, they're on Facebook or they're doing something important. No, you knew they were doing something important because they were in the last third of a giant fantasy novel. Wait, which one and- is the fourth fourth book? Is that the Goblet of Fire? Goblet, Goblet, of, Fire. Goblet of Fire. Yeah. I am currently best. reading. I'm currently reading that with my son. That's uh, that's our nightly ritual. Uh, we read a okay, chapter so of Goblet of just, Fire. 
I'm, I'm gonna let you know right now, Enoch. Um, that's where Eli and I stopped because it's that's kind of like they need to be probably twelve or thirteen before you start. Uh, it's a little, it gets a little darker it gets after dark. that. It yeah, I thought, I thought it might. Well, we'll see. People we'll see how far dying. it goes. He's yeah. enjoying it, but we'll see how far it goes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about San Francisco, I it, there's something about that part of California. There's the light. The, the, the quality of the light is just something else. Mm. And I think I, it reminds me of stories I heard about the impressionist painters who would go to the, the, the French coast. And this, something about the quality of light really influenced their, their work and how they painted. That is, uh, I've, I haven't experienced it anywhere else in the world. Ooh, what a lovely thought. I haven't heard that before, but I but I'll tune into it. I I know that it, we get really long shadows in the fall mm. and the early spring and mm -hmm. there's nothing quite there's nothing quite like it over the over the city as as the sun goes behind the water. Mm -hmm. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I need yeah. to visit this place. Oh yeah, you do. Come on oh, yeah. come on down. Especially yeah. once it reopens. It's way more fun when things are happening. That's so. This is everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> I keep on getting this feeling like if the pandemic continues, it's going to be uh, like Demolition Man. How they have uh, they have uh, sex through a uh, video stuff, and then oh. there's the seashell that you use the bathroom for. Nobody can figure <laughs> that thing out. I was thinking yeah. of the the Naked Gun movie where they put on the full body condoms. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, God, that <laughs> was so great. They're hopping, <laughs> hopping, hop on the bed. Yeah. So San Francisco, obviously one of the gay meccas of the world, yeah. um, really leaned into this idea. The uh, the Canadian recommendation for the safest sex possible was through a glory hole, and oh. so that became uh, that became a thing that I started I started hearing about. Did not go sample the goods myself this time, but <laughs> but that it Kudos. it was so it was so quintessential San Francisco to be like, oh, this is the recommendation. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, just being safe. Just being safe. <laughs> exactly. Safety you don't get first. feelings involved. No feelings. <laughs> this is the best way to have absent. <laughs> so Boston, other than uh, making a podcast and settling in a beautiful city, what do you what do you do with yourself? Well, I had been uh, I've been a massage therapist for almost 20 years and the uh, COVID is not a situation where I wanted to keep doing that. So I've been hard to massage through a glory hole. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I haven't tried yet. Um, <laughs> seems like an experiment that should be run. I uh so I, I've been transitioning into writing, podcasting. I have this lifelong love of mythology. I had already started doing, I'd already started life coaching from this mythic perspective because oh, wow. it's, what, it's what I was doing with my massage clients anyway. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations transitioned into conversations about relationship and coping strategies for COVID. And wow. so I, I wrote some Medium articles that were about mythology and branding. And one person reached out to me. And so we used, uh, we, I taught her how to use the hero's journey to hmm. shape and frame a presentation. Uh, I had never thought of this before. It was just a completely new concept, but she was huh. going to do 
big ask for money. And so the question was, how do you take mythology? How do you take these deep archetypes and, and uh, engage your audience, help them feel like they're a part of something and like what they're doing really makes an impact, help them recognize that. And so that turned into a series of other conversations. So I've been, I, I mean, I've, I've styled myself as a Jungian mythologist, uh, because that's what I'm doing and I'm just finding all the different ways I can apply it. And that's, that's the game I'm playing right now. That's wonderful. And tell me to, for a, a neophyte, what, what would a Jungian mythologist, what, what does that mean? So, you know, uh, Jung was a psychoanalyst who mm -hmm. was a, he was an offshoot of Freud. So he, he was Freud's protege and they had a split over psychological theory. And Jung brought in this idea of, of uh, universal archetypes, this idea that these, these ideas, concepts, the Greek gods, the myths, that they emerge within the collective unconscious. And then we all have this these stories and these archetypes within us. Hmm. And so what's going on in the stories is a reflection of what's going on in ourselves. Hmm. Uh, the mythologist part comes from that's what I've studied. I have a lifelong love of mythology. So those are the things I understand. The Jungian uh, is referring to this is an inner and an outer experience. I'm looking at the depth, not just the history or the anthropology. Uh, it's it's why do they matter to us personally and not just how do we use them to get a result? Wow. So, if, so if I had to sum you up, I would say you're basically a, a Rick Riordan for adults. Uh, Rick Riordan, um, he's, he's fiction. He writes fiction. I can't write fiction. I'm terrible at it. I'm, I take a much more academic view on things. <laughs> um, I'm coachier. I just read I just read my first Rick Riordan book because my 11 year old buddy Marcus told me I had to. Yeah, and which one did you do? The Lightning Thief. Um, okay. And when I told Marcus I had I had finally finished it, he said, "Oh, there are only 21 more to go. You have a lot of reading to do." <laughs> yes, I would strongly <laughs> recommend uh, Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard. I mm -hmm. just finished that with my nine year old. And it's just really beautiful because when you're sitting here talking about the, the, the archetypes and uh, using it to coach people on life, mm -hmm. I really feel like he kind of took that and is doing that for those kids. There's this real beautiful part where he's, he's telling the, the one kid or the one kid's describing what it's like to, to uh, really be infatuated with someone who is transgender. And Ooh. yeah, he goes, oh, it's, I wonder, wonder what it's like do I even realize that I'm kissing a boy? No, I'm right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just kissing Alex and I really like Alex. And it was just, it's just kind of, yeah. It, I mean, it beautiful. And I that's think that's powerful shit in a kid's book. That's I love lovely. it. And I was, so when I started these books with Eli, I was like, I don't know, man, this might be a little too much, you know, a little too whatever. And then as we're going through them, I'm like, this is perfect. This is directly aimed at his mental level and it's going to help him you know, find out who he is hmm. or they are, whatever, and, and be okay. You know, it just gives you the tools to then go out and, and kick ass in life. So while you're saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, I think this, that's really cool, Boston. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is the gift that mythology gives. Is, and I'm going to focus on Greek mythology because it's what I know the mm -hmm. best. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, learning, I'm learning Norse, but my, my deep knowledge is Greek mythology. 
And the thing that's so beautiful about it is that it makes all these, all the room to be different kinds of people. Monotheism says there's a right way and a wrong way to be. There's this archetype of the archetype. There's God and there's what God likes and what, and what God doesn't like. When you look at the Olympians or the, or the, I see, or the, the Asgardians, you have these different models for human. So you can be, you know, a directorial type, you know, a CEO like Zeus, or you can be a, a, a party thrower like Dionysus, or you can be, you know, devoted to self-development like Apollo. You could be, you can, if you're a woman, you can eschew men like Artemis or dedicate yourself to the study of war like Athena. And mm. these are, there's room for all of this. And one of the things that I think is happening as this, this emergence of these new gender uh, concepts or new to me gender concepts where we're getting further and further away from a right way and a wrong way to be. And Rick Riordan has just pulled in this, he's using mythology the way that it can really make a difference for kids at this age. Hmm. And I think, I so what I read was that he wrote, he started telling Percy Jackson to his own son who struggled with ADHD hmm. and used the mythology to to say, oh well, this is a sign that you're that you're special, that you're you're an Olympian offspring. This is a feature, not a flaw. Right. And how wow. do you take those powers and use them to your benefit? And we really need that. We we're we're pathologizing people for not doing well in a classroom industrial environment designed to handle about ten percent of people. Yeah. Right. That's really powerful. That is that, and then and that perfectly encapsulates what what I what I've kind of drawn from it, and, and the last thing I'll say about that is what I what I've loved about him is that with Magnus Chase and all that, they said that he actually like started listening to some of the uh, critiques of what he had written. Uh, didn't have enough minority. Didn't have you know wasn't dealing with the the gender stuff as well or s something like that. But that last one addresses a lot of that. Instead of getting like all pissy and stuff, he's like, you know what? You're right. So let me take this and try to do the same thing I did for my son with these other people and try and tell this different story. And like you said, there's a room for all of us in this room. Let's try and find a hero for everybody. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, beautiful. God, I, I think I love Boston man. even more now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So fucking read it. <laughs> Oh, I, I will. Do, do I need to read all of the Percy Jackson before I, I read Magnus Chase or can I jump right to Magnus Chase? They you you can. You can. Um, I did it depends not. on what your taskmaster says to you. It sounds like right. you've got a very yeah, yeah. Uh, so good demanding <laughs> teacher. I will. I will ask Marcus about my the order of my reading list. Right. <laughs> they do. Tie, I'll say this. They do tie in together. There's the cousins that are uh, in, in both of them and they, they start talking about each other. Oh, it's so and cool. By, by the time you get to Magnus, they'll they'll refer a lot back to Percy. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's neat. But do, by the time he gets to Magnus Chase, I'm going, man, you you've mastered your craft. You're you're really killing it. So mm. what's next? Mm, you bring more. me more. 
So when I was a kid, I, I sort of fell in love with Greek mythology and eventually found my way to Norse mythology as well. And I would just, you know, I'd find those books in the school library and just devour these stories. And I, mm. I really, they would suck me into this world and I knew all the gods and I knew all these stories and their interrelations. And I was, while you were talking about how they can represent or, uh, or or help us look at the way we live our lives. One of the things I was thinking about as somebody who grew up a good Southern Baptist boy, one of the things that I saw as a flaw in Greek mythology was the imperfection of the gods. And that's something that I think when you look at it, the way you're looking at it, it is again, it's not a flaw. It's a, uh, it, it's a feature. It, their imperfection can help us to turn a mirror on ourselves. Mm -hmm. The gods were not perfect. Um, the worst thing that could happen to you as a mortal was to get the attention of the gods. Mm. You wanted to give your offerings, have them maybe do you a favor here and there, and then forget that you exist because, mm. you know, Zeus you know, if Zeus's eye lands on the wrong young lady or the right young lady, in his opinion, um, things get very strange, very fast. And <laughs> suddenly you're impregnated by a shower of gold. And this is, I, got, you know, I mean, there's so many jokes, Enoch. Nick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back, brother. <laughs> Sorry. Soch tried to impregnate his wife with a shower of gold. Oh, cool. And uh, it six <laughs> months later, she was barren and he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Brain broke down. She was just pissed. She was really pissed off at the end of it. <laughs> Read about it and needed him. <laughs> <laughs> This would be an example of misreading Greek mythology. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I was just thinking, I, I, I was struck when you were saying about how much more value is, is in that imperfection than holding up a perfect God and comparing mm -hmm. yourself to that perfection and how much more value would be in learning from that imperfection than the, than the perfection of a, of a monotheistic religion. I mean, I think that's really the thing. There's something about, you know, the, the gods make these terrible mistakes and they make mistakes and there are grand outsized consequences. When a mortal makes those mistakes, they tend to be more subtle, but, but when you see them played out in a grand scale, uh, the here and the heroes were also flawed right mm. now. We have this idea that everyone there's, there's such a, um, I don't know. There's such a fundamentalist orientation towards seemingly everything right now. Mm that's everything's either all good or all bad. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of room for the complexity of human being or, you know, you, you did something bad. And so you're a bad person. The heroes in Greek mythology were not perfect either. You know, Hercules may be the most recognized and revered hero, but he murdered his wife and children. And that's what preceded his 12 la labors that led him to this experience of immortality or the, the journey wow. to immortality. Uh, and the gods, Hera has this, um, she's presented as the jealous shrew. Well, 
she's the queen of the gods and her husband keeps stepping out on her and she can't take revenge on him directly. So the consequences are necessary to keep this balance of civilization. It's those stories, like if everything's perfect, there's no story. Mm -hmm. And if everything's perfect, there's no humanity. And we're, we are neither as good nor as bad mm. as the, as the, or we're neither as powerful nor as problematic as the gods. Yeah. And there's not, they're not these beings set apart in some sense. Like they, they have these very human appetites and foibles mm. and desires that play out on a much grander scale than what we would in our everyday humdrum life than we um, ever could. But sometimes we experience it that way. You know, if you're if you're building a company, it can you can get possessed by it. If you're building, if you're creating a, a project, you can find yourself feeling like Zeus defending his throne or Hephaestus, you know, at work in his workshop, obsessively uh, creating something. Uh, Aphrodite being horribly jealous and and vindictive. Mm. The question is, do we express those things? Like, what do we do with those things as they start to emerge? The gods don't have any choice. They're they're pure archetypes, and so they can mm. only behave the way they behave. There's no, they don't have choice. They don't have complexity. The complexity exists in a different God. So they're this big, the Olympians are a big dysfunctional family and they're all kind of parts of one psyche. Huh. So it's in many ways, being human is a, a much more free state of being than to be a God. I think so. Yeah. The, the humans, ha humans have choice. We can navigate the world. Uh, we're marvelous. We can change. We can change. We can learn. The gods never learn. They replay the same things over and over and over again. The same story. And humans do too, generation after generation. But but we do learn and we do grow. And there's more nuance. There's more texture to our, to our lives. Hmm. Uh, we have lives. We have death. We can die. So we can have a sense of urgency. We can have a sense of consequence. Uh, some things we do matter to us and mm. for the gods the world is just it's just passing by things grow and they die a human life is a split second who cares what's the value of it we experience value we experience importance beyond ourselves mm -hmm. hmm. i was thinking about something you just said you were talking about the uh, the sort of the complexity of life and this almost puritanical bent and that there the thing is something is either all good or all bad and then you you do you see this a lot in in particularly online exchanges i was recently got into like some weird twitter exchange which started with a really cute video of a chimpanzee jumping into someone's arms and hugging them because they had raised it as a baby chimpanzee and then like delved into this discussion about how the chimpanzee was mistreated and it should be in the wild. And then people were bad for liking the video of the cute chimpanzee hugging the owner. And, and it, re it made me think of one of my favorite uh, shows of recent years, the, uh, the good place. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Yes. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of the premise of the show is the world has gotten so complex that nobody can get 
into heaven because nobody can be good enough. The, the example that uh, the main character, Eleanor Shellstrop gave was that she said, there's this, there's this chicken sandwich. And if you eat it, it means you hate gay people. And it's a delicious <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> oh god there it is it's true like there's there's so much complexity to every like every simple decision (laughs) down to whether or not to eat a goddamn chicken sandwich carries moral weight and it makes it hard to make a decision or put yourself out there for display because you you just never know if if which misstep may be the one that gets you the condemnation of, of the world it's so true and people's attention it's on different parts of it and people make different connections. And for whatever reason, we're tribalizing around these things. Well, Mm. I'm this way and I'm that way. So I'm part of this group and you're part of that group. And so we have to hate each other. I'm pro uh, the chicken sandwich. No, you can't go to that, to that fast food chicken place because, because Mm. uh, gay people uh, we're boycotting it's. And then, you know, I'm like, who made this microphone that I'm talking on? We were having a conversation that I hope is helping people in some way, some form, somewhere, that there are new useful ideas. But was my microphone made by by 10-year-olds? Yeah, or slave labor in China. You don't know. I don't know. I know it was awfully cheap given what it's made of. Mm-hmm. So do I do I completely withdraw from myself and try to be a perfect person by not eating anything or drinking anything? No, that's not the world. Life is not, in my opinion, good and evil. There is a moral center and we're all doing the best we can. And it's we can't hold it all. Nobody mm. can hold it all. And so we have to trust each other and this is a tricky one for me right now is we have to trust each other that we are doing the best that we can. And we are, we do have the benefit of one another at heart. Hmm. Self self-righteousness is a complete distraction hmm. from doing any good in the world. Like, yeah. okay, you're, you're right. What you said is absolutely right. Eating that chicken chicks filet sandwich means you hate gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now, do you want a cookie? Like, you're right. I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So what do we do now? And somebody has taken on that cause. Somebody is boycotting. Somebody is organizing that. Somebody else is working on the humane rearing of chickens. Somebody else <laughs> is developing a plant, you know, plant-based protein that tastes better than that sandwich. That complexity, I, the good place, when it brings that up, nobody can get into heaven because good and evil, the sciences and psychology and history, an incredibly complex history and culture, a global culture, the population is not 3,500 people. It's 7 billion. Hmm. What do we do? 32 flavors and then some. Yeah. And then some. And they're making new flavors all the time. Baskin Robbins probably hates gay people too, just so you know, so. That's why you should do yeah, ben but and that, cherries. That, 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 <laughs> that was less. That was more Ani DeFranco. I, I know. I know. Okay. I, I, so I'm woke. <laughs> yeah, you're woke, bro. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I was uh, I was thinking about when you when you're just to tie it back to mythology. I think it's interesting when, as you describe it, you know, humans in that world 
are complex and messy and dirty, and we have both good and evil within us. And it almost seems as if we're trying to make ourselves like the gods and that, yes, I am this thing and I am no other. And mm-hmm. you are that thing and you are no other. And let these characteristics define us as if we were unchanging, immortal gods, which we're not. Which we're not. And, ooh, boy, that's interesting. That pride was always the, that hubris. Try, mm. compar- comparing yourself to the gods or trying to transcend your humanity to become a god, unless you were one of Zeus's kids, but that was that was what always resulted in the downfall. Well, that, even then, it wasn't easy. I mean, you could be Zeus's kid, and it wasn't like it was going to get no. handed to you. No, no there's and, only like one out of a hundred that actually made it, right? Yeah, exactly. That was Hercules. This idea that trying to be like the gods is actually what what breaks you. It's what breaks your humanity. It breaks the line. No, hmm. you're a human. Be human. And you know, there's the story of the uh, Arachne who compared herself to Athena, her pride. Like, I am the greatest weaver. I always will be. Uh, I could rival the goddess Athena herself. Athena shows up, challenges her to a weaving contest. Weave off. (laughs) (laughs) The great weave off. And when Athena's weave turned out better than Arachne's weave, uh, or actually depending on the version of the myth, it's either a story of Athena's jealousy or a punishment of Arachne's pride. Uh, she turns her into a spider sentenced to weave mm. for all time. And this plays out over and over again. No, go do the best you can and serve your community with it. It's not about being godlike. It's about uh, participation in the human experience. Mm. And loving the messiness and the, uh, the, the freedom that that brings. That's, that's how I feel about it embracing the messiness life is messy it always has been it always will be um and there's a that's where the god dionysus comes in was this there's this sense of order that zeus represented this um you know this hierarchy and uh the greeks were they were obsessed with trying to create this perfect civilization. Hmm. And Dionysus said, that's only for the gods. You have to embrace your, your unconscious. You're, you have to embrace the party. You have to embrace the non-rational. And so he brought hmm. wine and celebration and, and chaos. He was a traveling God who, you know, was just bringing the party with him. And some cities really were frightened of him. Uh, hmm. Everyone behaved strangely. The women went wild. And um, in, it was a really important addition to the Greek pantheon. He was the last Olympian added to the, to the list. Oh, wow. there, there, had to be, there had to be room to blow off the steam, to embrace the messy. Otherwise, like you have to. You have to party. Or like, how, what are you going to be a perfect... You, know, you guys are both dads. Can you imagine if you were trying to be completely rational and just on it all the time with no mm. humor? And in my case, with no wine, like what would you do? Yeah. Oh, and we, we talked about this recently, just like making room for play in your life. Like there has to be some place for that. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember play. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds hard. <laughs> oh, so it's hard to play. Oh, it's oh, that's a trippy one. 
I, I find that every time I try to play, I, I find some reason for it. Uh, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to play. And while I play, I'm also going to be working on my diet. I, I don't know. Like there's some counting yeah. steps. Yeah. Counting steps. Hey, oh, oh, I'm going to go play. I better go put on my, my, my watch. Yeah. So it counts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Create some outcome. When was it's the last? help me get in shape. It's going to some way I'm going to get myself better through this thing. You can't just do it just for the enjoyment of it. Just right. for the, and, and once you, it's not, is it play anymore? Once you're not doing it just for the enjoyment? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Doing it for the steps, not for the love of the game. That's right. Well, just backing you up just a little bit. Where, where, where did this fascination and this love of mythology come from? When did you first get into, into the myth? Wonder Woman. Really? Bear with me. I love telling this story. I was three and a half years old. It was a Friday night and I was reaching up to flip channels on the big clunky TV dial. Uh And I saw Linda Carter lasso two dudes and said, she says, don't worry, they won't get far. And I was completely mesmerized. I loved that show. It was a good show. It was a good show. Um, And I... I, mom, what's this? Oh, that's Wonder Woman. She has a magic lasso that makes people tell the truth. I'm like, what? 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 Can I yeah. have one? Yeah. And right. um, and so I my used dad- to pretend to be Wonder Woman, and my dad was just horrified. Yeah, I could see that. I could <laughs> so see your dad being like, "No, you're Superman. You're not Wonder Woman." Yep. <laughs> but this to finish this story, my my dad bought me a Wonder Woman comic. And it had the opening legend said, uh, more beautiful than Aphrodite, wise as Athena, stronger than Hercules and swifter than Mercury. And I was like, what does that mean? I was three and a half. Like, I don't know. I know like four of those words. Yeah. And so my mom explained that these were gods from ancient Greece and Rome. And I said, I thought there was only one God. And she said, well, different people believe different things. I went, oh, okay, got it. And what a radical, and so, and that for whatever reason stuck with me. So when I start, when I kept going to church, I'm like, oh, this is what this group of people believes. They also don't like to be asked about why they believe it. It's a, it's Hmm. really, it's a very disturbing question (laughs) for them. And that just set me on this complete obsessive journey where I read, I, I, I went and found a dictionary of classical mythology. Paul's Valley had a great library that mm. Nora Sparks were in public library. And I basically lived there. I went through the card catalog and found every reference to mythology, Wonder Woman and Thor that I could, oh, wow. and just went through all of it. For listeners who don't know what a card catalog is, it's what we did before <laughs> we had Google. It's right up there with a the clunky dial on a TV. <laughs> Unfortunately, yep. mine didn't lead me to Wonder Woman. It was Three Stooges. We yeah. recently rewatched the... We recently watched the uh, original uh, Ghostbusters. You know, it opens with a scene in the the New York Public Library where yes. where the card catalog explodes and all those cards are yeah. flying out, and the kids had no idea what it was. My, my wife and I were just waxing nostalgically about the card catalog and how wonderful it was the to Dewey thumb through there. System. Wow! Oh, that just boggles my mind. All those references that they have no no clue, no point oh, yeah. of reference. Oh, oh yeah. What are we gonna do with them? I don't know. I don't know. Nothing. They'll just make and and, and you know in the next decade they'll just start making fun of us for all the things that we don't understand in their world. It's okay. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the circle right. of life. 
True that. So yeah, you just you 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 fell in love with Wonder Woman. You started uh, decide you wanted to learn everything you could, and you just started reading it, huh? I just started reading it. I looked for I, there was something really weird about so Wonder Woman showed up in all these once. You know, you read a Superman comic book and you like go look up Krypton in Encyclopedia Britannica and you learn about an element. You, there's no planet, there's no truth, there's no reality. Gotham City is not in Encyclopedia Britannica again old school, but mm -hmm. you go look up Aphrodite in the Encyclopedia Britannica and it opens a whole world. And mm. so that takes me to Ares and Hercules and an entire universe and Wonder Woman was at the center. So she seemed real. She mm. seemed like she was part of this whole cosmos that, you know, I read, I remember reading a Midsummer Night's Dream in high school for the first time. I had just never read Shakespeare and I read Midsummer Night's Dream and the, the, um, the frame story is Theseus marrying Hippolyta. Hippolyta mm -hmm. is Wonder Woman's mother. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, here it is again. Yeah. So this, the mythical realm, this world of mythology, if Wonder Woman is your starting place, the joy never ends. It's just all part of the lore of this character. And that's, that's what happened for me. And then as I started understanding more and more about it and started getting into the psychological concepts when I was in my early 20s, somebody gave me a book called Gods in Everyman by uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin. Hmm. And it is. It was the first time I had really seen these gods applied to human personality types, and it just rocked my world. I recently read it. It's completely dated. All of the references are from the 1980s. Hmm. It it holds up okay. It's a product of its time, but she's mm -hmm. continued to write and she's continued to learn, and so I'm still really into 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 specifically her work, but also how, um, you know, how this psychology can help us look at, again, just different ways of being in the world without pathologizing ourselves so <laughs> much mm -hmm. and each other, ourselves and each other. Yeah, that's a big one too. Yeah, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm okay, but you're not. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> If everybody would just do what I said, this world would work so much better. <laughs> so did you ever take a, uh, like a, a, a prescribed course of study or was this just sort of a self-led throughout your life? It was self-led throughout my life. Uh, I am, I was before COVID, I was preparing to enter into a graduate program, a, a PhD program in, in mythological studies oh, wow. at P Pacifica Graduate Institute, but COVID created so much uncertainty. I just decided I wanted to put that off. I mm -hmm. wasn't even convinced the university system would survive COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing about a PhD in mythological studies is that it basically qualifies you to teach at the university level. Well, sure. Which sounds like a dream to me. I would absolutely love that. Yeah. But it doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, job application sure. out in the world. So, it's I'm, not a marketable I, skill in a whole lot a, of circles. <laughs> in a whole lot of circles. It's an it's niche. It's a niche market. But I am really excited. There's a there's a certificate program. It's called um it's called Applied Mythology. And mm. it's at Pacifica and it's a six-week study program that I'll be starting in June. And this will be the first formal study. Oh wow. That, that I've 
been able to do in this, I could not be more excited. Uh, I also just started working with a Jungian analyst. I've worked, I've, I, I'm pretty big on therapy. I think therapy is great. And I've worked with three different types of therapists, but this is the first time I've worked with a Jungian and I suspect huh. it's going to be, you know, the inner experience. I'll go pretty deep into uh, the dark, great. horrible parts of myself. That's great. Yeah, it took me a while to get there. I, I, I joke that I sort of backdoored my way into therapy. I talked my, my talked my wife into going to couples therapy so that I could figure out that I was horribly depressed and I needed therapy on my own. Oh, that's a good trick. No, I'm putting the relationship first. And this is for us. But wait a minute. Why are we just talking about me? Like <laughs> the whole time. Third time we're doing this. And I can't seem to be. I was pretty sure the problem was her. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm still holding out that a little bit is, and yeah. nobody has agreed with it yet. <laughs> and I'm curious, so did therapy make a difference for you? Was it? Yes. I mean, and it, it's a work in progress. I, I, I always ask people, does anybody else get pissed off at their therapist? Like, I haven't talked oh, to my God. therapist in about a month because I'm really mad at her. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I finally got to put where I can laugh about it. So I know I'm about to give her a call and say, hey, we should beat again. But <laughs> I, was, I had like a couple of weeks where I was just sort of seething like, well, fuck her. I'm not talking to her anymore. It's bullshit. Yeah. Um, but yes, it has been. I am in a world of a different place. And it's not just therapy. It's, you know, a lot of self-care and a lot of changing habits and medication and psychiatrist and, and everything else. I mean, it's a, it's a package, but yeah, mm -hmm. if you look at me today, as opposed to me two years ago, I'm, I'm a totally different person, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And me from uh, 10, 15 years ago, definitely, definitely better. But uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> Late, late bloomer, buddy. Late bloomer. That's what it is. I, I, I tend to, to find a lot of friends who are therapists. And I was talking with one of them the other day. And he said, yeah, I have a client. She fires me every six weeks. It's just, <laughs> it's just the process. And it's it'll take No, I'm not alone. <laughs> I just... I just think that's great imagine like i i would that's a that's an alternate universe i'd love being a therapist just getting to experience all of people projecting all this stuff onto me and then yeah yeah, yeah i I, I had a, a brief period where i thought psychoanalysis would just be a fascinating road to travel down mm -hmm. i met uh i met a psychoanalyst once who found out that i was somewhat interested in psychoanalytics and he said do you read novels and i said Yes, I, I love to read. I, I love to read novels. He's like, hmm. If you love novels, you'd never love being a psychiatrist, but you might love being a psychoanalyst. <laughs> and that was he left it there. That was no more explanation. That was that was that was the story. That was the story. <laughs> that was the story. Like, huh? Okay. Well, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> and, and that's how they get you. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what they meant by that. <laughs> He was yeah, great. He was a really weird guy. We were like having lunch at a McDonald's and he's wearing, he's wearing this very natty looking suit and these dark sunglasses throughout the meal. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you're just a fascinating character. I just want to dive into you a little bit. Yeah, right. So it's like the comedian who was uh, saying something like, yeah, women, you know, they, had to, they know how to like, you know, ninja the back of your brain. He goes, yeah, you're just like your father. 
you're like, I'm just like, hey, yeah, yeah, walk off laughing. An hour later, you come back in the room. My father was an incredible man. <laughs> fucking bitch. <laughs> Dorothy Mantooth was a saint. <laughs> Boom. Oh. So how did you get into coaching? How did that, was that a straightforward path or did you kind of meander over to that? You know, it was, it was something that I had been told I would be good at. I was, I went and got my certification, my coaching certification because my body was wearing out from doing massage, hmm. but, but the coach, it, I, I also have an obsession with personal development seminars. I've done mm. all the seminars. I've, I just, if there's one to take, I would do it. I'm also mm. now kind of, kind of burned out on that. But by the time I got my coaching certification, when I went to do that training, turns out that was everything I had been doing in these other workshops and seminars. Huh. So I got a lot of <laughs> misplaced confidence in my skill. Uh, <laughs> Are we, like, are we back on hubris? Are we yes, that's, yes. Like I, I think I think the I think the worst thing I could do as a coach is say, "Oh, I'm good at this." Is like right. That's the pro. Like there, my ego is in immediately. So, coaching, like I imagine psychotherapy, like so much of it is you know doing the work on yourself, so you can really just be present with what's going on over there hmm. with the other person and what wants to arise from them, and. I had been, but in massage, I had, I had 20 years of practice creating a, a safe container for people hmm. to just let go and feel safe. And people started using me as a therapist while I was massaging them. And I, at first I just listened and listened and people would, and maybe I would drop something I had learned in a workshop and they go, Oh my God, that made all the difference. I'm like, I'm glad to hear that. Hmm. And it, more, it just happened more and more. So it seemed like a, uh, it seemed like a viable path, something that I would be good at and that I would enjoy. And even now, like at this point, I'm only seeing three coaching clients mm -hmm. and I don't, it's something I do. It's not something I, I don't think of it as my career. It's, mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I, one of the ways I feel like I can help people. And hmm. I guess that, I guess that's a long winding answer. Like, yes, it's something I just kind of transitioned to. It's more like something that happened to me, hmm. but back when I was acting, this seems to be a through line that whenever I'm doing something, it turns into some kind of personal development experience for myself and the people I'm working with. So hmm. when, when I was acting, I, I trained under a brilliant woman named Rachel Adler in Meisner technique. Rachel really, she just had this stand for uh, the search for human truth. Like what is the most truthful thing that can happen in any moment? And so I remember directing a scene that I had written and these two actors, the process, it was never about blocking the scene. It was never about making it be any particular thing. I was really interested in both of these actors having the most authentic experience of themselves while saying the lines that I had written. Hmm. And, and I think we really accomplished that to a huge degree. And that, and so 
that is how I also thought of myself as uh, when people would, would, I would, I coached actors as well. And they would come looking for the same thing. Like, how do we get all of the stuff out of the way so that they can really have an authentic experience of themselves because a vulnerable experience hmm. and, and my coaching sessions would turn into not just coaching people in a scene for an audition, but also in, um, you know, how they're living their lives, what was working in their relationships. It just drifted into that territory. And that's what they seem to be coming back for. I never leaned into it at that time. I wish I had. I would have been better at that than I was as an actor. Um, <laughs> like the, the, li the life coaching, um, and that's a phrase I have real problems with. Um, that pill to swallow. You're like, oh. Yeah. Douchebag. Do exactly. Oh yeah. I I just, it has so many connotations. But but it but I was, you know, authentic authenticity coaching, like helping people get out of their own way yeah. to have a good experience of life. And that's what I did. And that's what that's when I say life coach, that's what I'm doing now. Like that's what I'm trying to bring out. I'm yeah. not saying I've got life figured out and here's how to be a success. It's more about how can you enjoy more moments? How can you, hmm. it, like, life is precious and short and we're so caught up in our society and other people's expectations and all of that. Um, you know, who, who do you want to be? Hmm. How do you want this thing to go while also taking care of, you know, part of you in my experience is also the community that you're a part of. We're not, we're not separate. So. Yeah. That seems like a, a real common theme that's, that's been running, you know, with, with several of our guests lately built around what you just described as a life coach. Uh, I know Glenn was talking about creating the community, you know, the Tav and everything you've got or everything you need, you already have. And I'm really just trying to um, let you work out, do counseling, do life coaching, and trying to build a community to then go out and kind of spread this word and help build this community, you know, give you what you need to then go out and, and do it elsewhere. And, and that's making it better than I found it. And it's not necessarily a career or a way to get rich or anything. It's just, I'm finding a lot of fucking value in this and I'm getting happy just mm -hmm. from doing this. So it, yeah, it, it definitely seems like this common thing that's running along and it's cool and, and, I'm glad and I, I, I like what you said it's almost like you're uncovering what's already there um and helping helping them find what's already there as part of your work yeah yeah humans have been around for a long time this weird world that we live in is just one version of it it changes so fast but but loving being alive or hating being alive like that I, I imagine that that balance goes back to the beginning of time or the beginning hmm. of consciousness. And I, I think life is always there to be enjoyed. I forget all the time, but feeling the sunshine on your skin, enjoying the company of people you love and who love you, um, letting go of the, in order to letting go of the, like, yes. How did you say like leaving, like leaving it better than you found it, leaving hmm. people, situations, places better than you found them. What better orientation could there be in my arrogant opinion? Uh, that's, that's time well spent hmm. is, is, Oh, clean it up a little bit. 
help someone feel good about themselves and don't bullshit anybody. Like that's another, I don't think bullshitting anybody ever leaves something better than it was found. I was thinking about something you just said you were talking about when you were doing acting and you were doing all these other things, you almost fell into that role of, of coaching or seeking authenticity. And I'm one, and I'm wondering if you consider that part of your own personal story or myth, like that, that's sort of a trajectory in your life that just tended to happen. Uh, I I think I'm, I'm not quite understanding the question. What's the, that you were, when you were talking about, uh, when you were just getting into acting and you said, you know, any, anytime you were in an activity, it always became into this voyage of self-discovery and personal development, both for you and the people around you. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of my, uh, uh, one friend of mine calls it my ethos. It's, Mm. it's how I function in the world. When I was, it all comes out of one woman. I, I was a kid and I had this, uh, this lasso that I wanted to make magical. And I went and I found these spell books published by Llewellyn publishing. Yeah. And it was like, how do I give this lasso magic truth powers? Yeah. And that led me to folk magic, which led me to ESP studies and all of the, the Monroe Institute stuff. And that led me to NLP and personal development and self-discovery it became this part of like how i filter the world like everything is an opportunity for uh, growth for discovery there's always something new to learn about yourself or somebody else and one and the biggest key god i don't remember the title of the book but i I read it when i was in middle school and Mm. the key was your judgments are always the thing that's in the way if you're judging something if you're naming it and identifying it, then you're not experiencing it. So if it's oh, wow. good or bad or right yeah. or wrong, that's in the way of being with the thing itself. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. Mm. Spot on. Yes. Yeah. You should say the man that goes to bed with itchy butt, pick up a <laughs> stinky finger. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Tao, good. according to Soch. They say man who stand on toilet is high on pot. pot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure this is so offensive. It is. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Talking about like cancel culture just for a second. Let's get on this tangent. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The wife and I were talking about like the two or three Disney movies that had just gotten uh, canceled. You know, Peter Pan, obviously. Yeah. That whole like Native American, uh, you know, drunk scene, whatever. But I was just kind of humming, um, you know, we are Siamese, if you please. Yeah. And then I looked at her. I was like, oh, dude, have they canceled Lady and the Tramp yet? And she's like, yeah. well, well, no, no, they haven't. She goes, they are Siamese cats. And I'm like, yeah, mm. and they're doing this ting tong ting uh, accent and doing it's their a, horribly, <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously a caricature. <laughs> caricature of the Siamese culture and she goes yeah you're right you're right that's next it's gotta be (laughs) see i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on you just a hair do it because i've heard a lot of people talk about they've canceled these movies and it really pisses me off because they're they didn't cancel those fucking movies like they just moved them to a different menu on the damn downloading app they're still there yeah you can still buy this (laughs) racist shit Right yeah, there I mean, beside, it's still uh, there. Nobody's it, saying you can't watch Lady and the Tramp. You just have to like <laughs> sign in through your own account instead of your kids. 
Now, <laughs> Song of the South, Song of the South, they're trying to pretend they never made that shit. Yeah, no yep. shit, right? That's right there. No kidding. Uh, and for right. good it's reason, it's fucking amazing. terrible. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> no, I love, I grew up like with stories of Br'er Rabbit, and I fucking oh, loved Br'er Rabbit. Br'er Rabbit was a badass. Yeah. That dude, that dude got away with everything. He was cool. Throw me in this thing. And, and those are I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out with mythology, but those are myths. Those are yeah. stories, those are folk tales, and it's a I, I Song of the South is just such a huge problem, <laughs> such a huge problem. Zippity doo dah, Oh, oh, just yeah. Lordy, I just wish I was a slave again. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, oh, no, no, no. 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 <laughs> Oh. May, maybe in another hundred years, we can look at these movies as a time capsule of, oh my God, what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. yeah. Combined with, all right, let's go look at everything that's wrong with this. Yeah. And, uh -huh. and then also, what are these stories about? Like Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby. Like, let's go, like, let's go unpack the stories because they did come out of a culture and they are a, those stories are great. The yeah. stories that got incorporated into it are really important. Unfortunately, we'll lose those two for a really yep. long time, yeah. and that may just be the cycle of things. We I, we just can't, it's yeah. an indefensible movie. It's an no, it is. Movie. You have to. I mean, like you said, it may be a two to three hundred years from now, but I doubt it. Even then, probably not. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> interestingly, bringing it back to mythology, you know, Brer Rabbit, and not Greek mythology, but actually African. Mm -hmm. Br'er Rabbit. Those stories are like an Anansi story. Yes, that they are Anansi stories. Yes. Yeah. And and um, uh, we uh, I I don't know if you've read American Gods, but uh, it's one of my favorite novels. And so, my, good. so good! Oh my god! Fact, and my I wife and I, thinking, my wife ahead. and I both loved loved the book. And then she went down this rabbit hole and just started fell in love with Anansi and started reading Anansi stories. And now now a lot of her art will actually include a small little spider somewhere on the frame. <gasps> Um, and it's just, it's, it really has defined sort of a chapter of her life where she went down that hole. And it's, those are, those are fascinating stories. And it's, it's interesting that they took a story from the birthplace of these slaves to tell this story, you know, this slave story, you know, it, there, there's layers and layers there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I would love to know the story of how that happened because we have those earlier movies. We have you know, the, the Brothers Grimm, uh, mm -hmm. the Disney-fied Brothers Grimm, and then you get the Disney-fied uh, African stories. Like they were mining, hmm. they were mining these old stories. And somebody, there may have been some really good intention in there of finding those African tales and putting them in front of, in front of an, a mass white American audience. But, <laughs> but, but it was, I, it all it all got lost. I love the story about your wife finding those Anansi stories and going like that. That even became part of her art. I know so little about these, and that's really the there's this is where it gets so valuable is learning about them from all over the world. That's that's what yeah. I want to do with my podcast. I would love to find people who know all the Anansi stories and come yeah. and tell like, yeah. let's talk about that. Teach me about that. Teach me about Japanese mythology. Teach me about uh, all of the places. You know, what's Icelandic mythology? Is that a thing? Yeah. Like, I would love to know. And diving into how these stories really fit into people's lives 
you know, 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, like when, when people are just, you know, existing then and then how, what they can teach us about now, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, and that brings me to, you know, this is the Brody Sattva podcast and we're all about, you know, Sosh and I, yeah, we're just struggling and flailing along and trying to be better men. And we're, this is what this is about. It's kind of sort of sharing to other like-minded, particularly men, but anybody who'd care to listen, please, everybody listen. We're happy to have you. Yeah. Um, but what are some lessons you think that we could, in this modern world, that you think we can take from these myths, and particularly Greek, since that's your, your sort of your wheelhouse, uh, what can they teach us about how to be a better man in today's society? Any, any particular story jump out or... Yeah, basically, can you just like take everything we've done for the past hour, hour and 15 and, and throw it in a quick nutshell, little, uh, bullet point? Or fix us. Can you fix us with a myth? Yeah. Fix uh, us. <laughs> uh, yes, the, 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 you know, myths communicate a deeper truth. Uh, and this myth is you're not broken. You never could be broken and you'll never be broken. <laughs> oh there's, there's nothing to fix. Oh, shit. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Why do I still feel so broken, Boston? Uh, <laughs> for the same reason I do. Because <laughs> I can't twirl around and change into a Wonder Woman outfit. I know. You just get, you know, you get your one arm in and one arm over your head know, and it just right? doesn't work. I love that. I love the question. I think, I think it goes back to the conversation earlier, earlier in this conversation. It's, that there are so many different ways to be human. Mm. Like that these, the gods, you know, that particular culture, patriarchal though it was, problematic though it was, uh, it made a lot of room for different beliefs, for different ways of being human. Um, Dionysus added room for, uh, for gender bending, uh, something that, you know, there was no room for under in Sparta, you know, under Ares. Hmm. Artemis gave women who didn't enjoy men someone to identify with. And there were all of these different ways to be, and none of them are right. They're just different ways to be, and they're all incomplete. None of it is whole. Like to be human is to be incomplete. Um, and somehow I think we have some memory or some ideal that there's a a way to be whole and be complete and maybe hmm. we can't can for a moment but then we have to move back into this world of differences and divisions and hmm. do the best we can with it man thanks nice. thanks for that actually yeah. that's that really speaks to me and where i've been recently I, i've i've been thinking a lot about my own life as a seeker you know i i there, Steve Earle has a song, I Ain't Ever Satisfied. And, and I feel like that's been a theme in my life. And that, you know, I, like, I can't be that guy who just like does a little meditation and, and then, you know, hey, that helps me get through the day a little bit better. I think, no, I'm going to become enlightened, you know, or, or, 
or, you know, I can't just do a little yoga. I'm like, I need to figure out how I'm going to lick my own asshole or, <laughs> you know, I can't just go right. work out a little bit. I got to get a six pack abs or I've got, it's, I'm always seeking and striving and like looking for this perfection and maybe, and maybe it's not there. And, and mm. maybe the realizing that I'm enough is, is where it's at. Well, and depending on your personality and your psyche and like who you are, it may also, you read, you read Stephen Pressfield's, um, the war of art. Yes. I have not. It's on my list. Highly recommended, super short read, but he talks about resistance and his thesis is resistance is always there. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You don't get rid of it. You just feel resistance while you do whatever you're doing. I think the same thing is true for that perfectionism, you know, for that, that whatever that thing that wants to run your en engine all the way to lick your own asshole, mm -hmm. uh, that, that that's not going to go away. That impulse is in you. And hmm. so to just live your life in this moment and go, oh, there's the part of me that it wants to take this to the extreme. Got it. But that part wants to drive and to just let that be in the car with you, but hmm. not, but not drive it. But not driving. Kind of like when you're meditating and the, and the, you know, the thought comes in, you just look at it as though it's a, it's there, it's the cloud. It's just passing by hmm. Yeah, go right back to, you know, God damn it, Boston. Are you taking new clients? <laughs> Jesus. This is good. I'm ready to sign up. <laughs> I'm I'm flattered. My I got that one from an astrologer. If he, awesome. <laughs> he, That's great. He, he looked he looked at my he looked at my chart and said, okay, you have an absolute obsession with transcendental states and you love meditation and drugs. I was like, yeah, that's right. Yep. And go. he said, he said, all right, well, that's always going to be there. You've got to watch out for addiction and uh, dissociation. Yeah. And, and that, that, that pull is always going to be there. So huh. just know that about yourself. Make sure that you have spiritual outlets, because if you don't, you will seek, you will seek transcendence through the simpler means. Wow. The simpler path. And I thought, oh my God, I yeah. have like that yeah, was everything. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's really that's really good. That's insightful. It is. Jesus. That guy should be a life coach. He really should. <laughs> he kind of is. Uh. <laughs> I'm still thinking about I'm still thinking back about your your massage clients who 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 talked to you and told you their problems. Like I I don't get a lot of massages, but I don't want to fucking talk to my masseuse. Like I am like I am silent and sort of pretending I'm not there and just trying to enjoy the moment. <laughs> I'm still weirded out by strangers touching me. <laughs> and I'm on the other Same end of way. that. I'm on the other end of that. I'm sitting there going, God, I hope they notice how relaxed I am. And, and this is awesome. And yeah, you notice uh, this is, you're doing a really good job. Let's talk about this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like inappropriate. You can sexual quick. I'm sure head. it's inappropriate. It always does. It always does. Male or female. Uh, I'm like, if you're a good masseuse, I'm just sitting there going, let's take this to the next level. Uh, <laughs> you, get, you get down on the table. Let me rub you for a while. <laughs> just not a good person. <laughs> it See, sounds very generous. So that's always, it sounds very so generous. 
You know, that's always going to be there, so It's always going to be there. So be aware. Just, just don't let it drive, please. Don't let it ever control. Boston, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my brother. God. This has been great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be here. I'm really excited about your podcast. Uh, I, I saw there are a lot more episodes than I realized, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the ride. This is this is great. I love what you guys are doing. Oh, really appreciate it. And appreciate I'm excited. It, We're excited to follow what you're doing. We'll make sure and yeah. put links to all your stuff uh, so people can find you and uh, all of our, both of our listeners can find you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, but uh, keep, keep doing the good work, man. Thanks yes, for joining sir. us. Will do. And thank you. Um, yeah. I'll talk to you soon. I hope. All right. See you, Boston. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. God knows we always do. Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together. Or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at True Brody Sattva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com keep up to date on what's going on in our world as always this show is written by enoch daniel and social woodbine and produced by me and special thanks to scott holmes who wrote our theme music until next time keep working keep seeking and keep living that brody sattva life bye now